Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the PTBC Podcast. We're back with uh, one of our previous guests, Daryl Yardley. So we'll give a mini intro today. He's been, um, he's obviously has a very long list of accomplishments and um, he's been up to some, uh, some cool new things, um, working on some of the stuff that we're, we've been involved with as well. So we're going to actually let him do a little bit of an intro of that. But uh, if you guys haven't heard of Daryl Yardley, for sure, uh, search him up. He's on Instagram. Uh, we'll, we'll link that at the end of the podcast as well. But uh, without further ado, let's get down to business. Thanks for joining us again. Daryl, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of an intro of uh, some of the new stuff that you've been up to? Sure. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back again. Um, so I guess, you know, just to there's a, I guess there's a long uh, introduction with the last episode. So right now, you know, what am I currently working on? You know, I have the, you know, the pleasure of working with you two in, in mentorship bootcamp and in mentorship bootcamp and, and mentoring physiotherapists, whether new grads and students all the way up to, you know, seasoned physios who just longer than myself, but um, has always been through passion of mine and, and been realizing that, you know, my, my outreach as, as a clinician could only span so far. And, and I have such a passion for our profession overall that I wanted my impact to be bigger. And, and that's really been the, the motivation behind starting Mentorship Bootcamp and, and teaching young physios and, and physios across the country. And, and then quite frankly, right now in North America, um, just ways to, to also share the same passion that I have for this profession and, and impact more and more people on a daily basis. So it's really my, my opportunity to pay it forward. Um, to what I wish I could do if I could multiply myself in, in many in many clinics across uh, across Canada, um, and at the same point in time, I, I have the opportunity to you know own own some practices and and still have a clinical practice myself. So still fortunate to work with two two surgeons. So I work with a neurosurgeon as well as a hip surgeon, and I'm still continuing to build you know my consulting practice there. Um, and again, you know, another favorite component I have is of working with um, some colleagues and doing a lot of mentorship with clinic owners across the country. Um, and again, my focus on that is more from the clinical perspective and, and what I would bring to the table that way. So lots of great opportunity for me from a coaching perspective um, and a way to give back. But at the same point in time, always making sure I surround myself uh, with people who can coach and challenge me uh, more so. So it's always a, a reciprocal relationship of a mentor and a mentee. Daryl, uh, that was quite a list of uh, some of the things you do. Uh, let me ask you a question. How do you have time for all these things? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's a good, really good question. Um, I have a very patient wife. Um, and <laughs> she, she reminds me on a daily basis, like, how much longer do I have to support you until, you know, you choose <laughs> really what, what you're going to do? Um, so that, that's, that's one key thing. Um, but again, you know, I don't, I don't do anything in isolation, right? So... I have a strong, you know, partnerships and, and um, individuals that I lean on just as they lean on me. So, you know, when you, when you're passionate about something, I suppose is you always find time to do it. Um, but as I mentioned to you guys earlier, I'm, I'm really not that good on, on Instagram. It takes me way too long to do. So, you know, the benefit of, of about to start teaching at Western again to the, to the new PT class um, starting in June is I got to find a friend there for sure that can help me with my Instagram. <laughs> well, if the, if the, new western classes listening in you know make sure to hop on that opportunity yeah and i'll pay this time too yeah 
so Daryl, I know uh, we want to definitely dive a little bit deeper into the mentorship bootcamp because we know that that's something you've been heavily focused on and uh, it's been amazing to see you give back to uh, the physiotherapy industry and um, your mentorship has for sure been super valuable for Slava and I just going into the clinics and and um, you know a lot of things that we bring into the clinics even some of the clinics that we've spoken to you know they haven't even brought those things into it so I feel like just working with you is already a competitive advantage there. Um, <laughs> so why don't you maybe give us a little bit of a background on um, what really motivated you to open up this mentorship uh, bootcamp and, um, and the journey there so far? Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, yeah. And thanks. And it's, it's actually been awesome working with you guys on this. Um, so I think it, it goes back early um, when I was a brand new grad. So when I came out of school, I had this vision of, you know, I needed it to be mentored and, you know, I, I got situated. I decided to travel outside of, of my region. Like I was in Hamilton at the time, so I could have found a job anywhere in Hamilton yet. I still chose to travel, you know, an hour to and from work every day. And the reason being is that that individual that I was going to work with, who was the clinic owner, um, he had, he, you know, he was going through his level system already. And that's really what I was, what I was looking for. Um, I came out of U of T as a young grad and, and, you know, my, my idol at that point in time was Eason Young and I just wanted to be like Eason. Um, despite, I think maybe it's cause we were the same size too. Um, but that's what I wanted to do and that's what I knew I was going to achieve. Um, but as I got to started to work into the clinic, I wasn't really getting, you know, that clinical mentorship that I wanted. And I, and I remember being frustrated at the time and I remember, you know, you know, how invested was I driving two hours a day, but the clinic owner was a really good guy and, and I liked him and, and, um, I thought, well, let's just stick it out. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of got a little bit more grumbly at the same point. And I remember him and, um, and the other, one of the other partners at the time just kind of sat me down and kind of smacked some sense into me to say, look, let me just take you through what's happened. So yes, we haven't taught you how to mobilize, you know, that shoulder. We haven't taught you how to do this. Like we've supported you though, through all of your con ed and you know, your contract says 1200 bucks for con ed, but we see the value in you. So we've provided you with more opportunity um, and we've given you more money mm-hmm. and look at how your caseload has improved. So it was one of those things where, you know, about a year, you know, a year into my, my first you know, career or my first job, I didn't really realize how much I learned about practice management. And it was one of those pieces where, you know, when I sit back and I reflect on that over, you know, over, you know, much over a decade now, you know, that individual and I will chuckle and, you know, basically you say like, you were a huge pain in my ass. You were good for the business. However, you know, you didn't really appreciate at the time, all the other things that go into um, running a practice. And we already knew you were going to be fine clinically. You know, we just needed to support you so you could build your confidence, but you didn't need me to build your confidence. And that sort of has really resonated with me quite a bit over the years. And it's really part of the story that I, that I sort of share with a lot of physios, but the, one of the big sort of aha moments for me or what I would consider sort of my epiphany though, is when I did kind of have that, you know, that come to Jesus talk with the two owners was, you know, yes, I eventually built a practice, but I had a point in time where I thought I was doing really, really well, but my patients weren't returning. And they said, look, Daryl, you know, we've got a couple issues here. One, our accounts receivable is way too high. And two, every time we give you a patient, they don't come back. And I was like, no, they, they do. 
but we actually had, you know, we didn't have an influx of assessments where you could actually see that. So once I started to learn that there was more going on besides, you know, what course I was taking, um, it was really started to be quite meaningful to me to realize that it wasn't just clinical. There was more about, you know, having this business acumen in order to really look at, you know, the, the caseload that I was trying to manage. So my confidence would go up, you know, until I realized my patients were coming back. Um, but then what really it, it forced me to do was, is to look at, okay, well, if my patients are coming back, but I, I really did this really good treatment plan. I just took all this, these courses. I had these experts in the field teach me on the weekend. Like I was pumped to go back to work on Monday and then, you know, the patient canceled their Wednesday appointment. Mm -hmm. But I started to realize that I had to track my, my patient experience a little bit more. What were my patients saying? You know, was I connecting with them? And then when I went through the course of that year, I realized that after that blip, my caseload continued to grow and grow and grow, but I never saw an increase in assessments because where we were was in a small town. So we pretty much consistently had, you know, seven or so assessments, I would say a week on average between two of us as clinicians. So there, there really wasn't a lot of saying, Oh, you know, my, you know, I, I started to see a bigger caseload because, um, you know, we did all this doctor marketing and it was awesome. You know, it was really the fact is, is that we already, I, as the clinician, I already had the caseload. I just wasn't retaining the caseload. Mm -hmm. So that was a big piece for me. Um, and then when I sort of moved on from that clinic, I stayed within the same group. And my next job was to take over, you know, you know, can I take a clinic that wasn't doing very well? And then could I basically instill what I learned at this location and re and basically revitalize that clinic? Could I bring it back out of the negative could it start to be a stable clinic and then could it start to make money? And I, and I was able to do that. And at that point in time, I realized that I had the ability to not only, you know, fix the clinic on my own, but I was also mentoring the other clinicians. So when I, my first opportunity was to build a mentorship program, um, you know, basically back in the days of my PT health days, but I, unfortunately though, I made an error on it. Um, and what I did is I made it very clinical. And, and I did it sort of, I built it to the way of saying, okay, when I graduate, this is what I wanted as opposed to what I needed. And about 10 years later, I figured out when I decided to, you know, go out and develop a mentorship boot camp is I built it for what I believe all of us as physios need, especially as young grads, as opposed to what we want. And the want is, you know, we have a huge opportunity to take whatever clinical courses we have and to find all the clinical mentors. That part's great. But where I identify a gap in the industry, in, in our industry for sure is the fact that, you know, we need to be better at business acumen. We need to understand patient experience metrics. We need to know how to build confidence quickly. Um, you know, in such a, in such a competitive environment and you guys have had so many great you know speakers on your podcast and everyone talks about you know the you know the starbucks model right there's a there's a rehab clinic opening up in every corner so it's it really makes it a bit more challenging for clinicians but really the driver for me was all the mistakes that i made as a young grad and where i had some success i really brought into mentorship boot camp to develop really what i believe is a program that enables clinicians to continue to grow their business acumen at the same point in time that they're building their clinical skills and ultimately taking sort of a, a clinician from, you know, what's going to be a good clinician or an all-star clinician. Cause that's sort of what we all kind of came into the profession to be, but to really take them to more of like a superhero 
sort of level of a clinician. And that's really what my goal always was as a physio is I wanted to be an all-star and I wanted to be that clinician that everybody wanted to come see. And over the course of my career, I actually want that, you know, the, the individuals that are in my, in, in my mentorship program, I want them to be better than I ever was. And I want that to multiply basically like little gremlins. Um, and ultimately you have a whole bunch of superstars running around who have much more potential than I do. Um, and again, that sort of gives me that huge ability to have an impact on what our profession can do. And that makes, uh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daryl, it's, um, like that was a great progression along your journey and, uh, you gave us a lot of reasons on, uh, reasonable steps on how you came to create them. And, uh, it's really unique in the fact that you're really focusing on what the clinicians need as opposed to the young clinicians as opposed to what we think we need, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's coming out of school. Nobody is 100% uh, sure about uh, their clinical skills, right? So you want to shore that up to make sure that the assessment is crisp, the treatment is crisp, and that there are follow-ups, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, however, uh, in your case, you've built something that really focuses on the patient experience, making sure that the patient is at the center and the physiotherapists are kind of there to support and make sure that they're, are building up their business acumen on the side as well. So, uh, Daryl, in terms of um, uh, if you had to describe mentorship bootcamp in one word or one sentence, how would you classify it to present it to uh, our listeners? Some of the potential uh, new recruits for mentorship bootcamp. Yeah. Okay. You guys, that's a, that's a challenge for me. Cause you guys know, I can't say anything in one word, <laughs> never mind a sentence even. Um, I, I think, I think what I would say is, is, is learn how to master the patient experience. Uh, so you can measure it to become a, an all-star clinician. Mm-hmm. And then let me know when I can explain that further Slava, cause your question was, was very specific. <laughs> And uh, Daryl, can you elaborate on that, please? Because that's a statement. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Um, you know what? Here's I'm just going to put a little scenario to it because I I was I had a blast. I actually got to lecture at U of T last week, um, and it was fun. And I'm sure sometimes I get so excited that things I probably say get misinterpreted. But I'm going to put it on the air again. But I one of the things I that I came to realize over over the years is that no one's ever given feedback to you know, my boss at the time, or no one's given me a Google review or no one's written anything on Sun Life to say that, you know, Daryl's the best mobilizer of a hip in Canada. <laughs> like that guy's posterior glide of our hip or his long axis traction is just, you know, I can fall asleep on that plinth, right? <laughs> like no one says that. Um, and, and the reality is, is that because we have to bring it back down to that individual is a consumer of my services and what I have to offer. And I think we, at times as clinicians, we forget about that because let's be honest, we're, we're, we're technical, we're tactical, and then we're trained that way. And it's, it's really what, what really puts us above some of the other professions because of really what, what expertise we have and what we bring to the table. I do believe though, is that if we really were assessing from a biopsychosocial perspective is our profession is one of the strongest ones that can move into the into the psychosocial aspect of things but really what that what i suggest that we really dig into is is why is that patient coming to see us 
and how do we serve them as best as we can? Because I can't actually fix everybody biomechanically like I'm the sort of trained to do. And, you know, if we go back to that, you know, when people, if you look back at the reviews and the feedback I received all the time, it wasn't because of my mobilization or my exercise. It was because I listened, I was available, I was a good communicator. I wrote, you know, I, I helped them communicate back and forth with their surgeon or their physician. Um, you know, I wasn't afraid to say I didn't know. I wasn't afraid to refer to other practitioners. So I think it's really about bringing it back down for ourselves to also think about, you know, if we were to go somewhere and, and look to either a restaurant or to see a service, what are those expectations that we would have? And I think that's the one piece that we have to get a little bit better at. And I think it's easy for us to say, oh, yeah, you know what, Daryl, I'm already good at, at measuring patient experience. Don't worry, I do the net promoter score, so I don't actually need boot camp. The reality is, is I probably have told you in the past, too, that, yeah, I don't need a mentor clinically either. And the reality is, is that I don't only practice clinically, I'm actually in a business, both private sector and public sector. So a lot of my mentors actually are more in sort of the marketing side of the house. So they're on the business side or they're, or they're quite frankly, they're not clinicians because I need them to challenge my brain. And one of the things that someone has challenged me on over and over again is that what, what is the expectation of the patient? So yes, you can deliver an experience. That's great. You know, give them a coffee if you want before they come to the door. But what is the expectation that you are going to deliver to that patient at the very first time you meet them to the time you discharge them? And then he says to me is, and if they don't make it to the point of discharge, where did you, where did you guys lose that agreement on the expectation? And I was like, Oh, that's a great question. I guess I better start to figure that out so that I can start to teach it. Cause you start to realize where all of your little gaps are as well. And these are the things that I've worked on for, for quite some time to make sure that I have the tools and the strategies and the tactics to, to help out the physios that, you know, and, and to avoid making the mistakes that I made for 10 years, but then to also encourage you to make new mistakes because you'll learn from those as well. But I think it's, it's easy to say that you, you do, you actually think about the patient experience, but it's all about true, you know, truly, are you measuring it appropriately? And do you have the ability to, um, know and identify if you need to pivot. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, is your metric working? Are you hitting a target or a benchmark? Or if it's not working, what are you going to do to fix it? And you may have to change how you do your assessment, how you initiate your assessment, how you end your assessment, and how do you actually follow up with a patient either, you know, after they book, you know, their first consult with you, or how do you actually pick up a phone and you call them right after their assessment until their first appointment. So there's just lots of strategies and stuff that, that we focus on because, you know, looking at the patient experience is unique in every case. Um, but the process or the system should be very similar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent agree with, um, the way you described it. And I think, uh, another way that I also look at, um, the bootcamp is, is it's essentially, almost in a way it could be seen as some leadership training in there too, because, um, you know, obviously we're not leading a team, you know, if we're a clinician as a, per se, but you need a lot of these leadership qualities, which, you know, being a leader isn't the definition of a leader. Isn't just to be this loud eccentric guy that our, our girl that um, is, you know, taking the room by storm uh, being a leader, 
you know, involves all those small tidbits that you just talked about, right? The communication skills, right? The little bits in throughout the process and being able to be adaptable to, to the individual that you see. I think that that's one thing that has been super valuable with, uh, in terms of mentorship, uh, bootcamp. And again, the competitive advantage is definitely being able to chat to the, uh, with the other individuals in the group. Because, um, you know, as much as we're learning a lot of stuff from you, I think that I've also been learning a lot from the other individuals because everybody does something different. And, um, and you can always adopt just a small thing from somebody else's experience and it can change your practice in a big way. And I think that's what I've noticed, um, especially with the communication piece. I think for me so far, that's been a, a huge, huge learning uh, aspect, but I'll, I'll let Slava also expand on that a little bit. Um, so definitely like, uh, there are what you mentioned that was Sarush, you mentioned definitely Daryl, the thing is what you talked about um, earlier on about patient expectations is actually a massive thing because uh, as clinicians, we have, when we're going through that assessment, uh, we formulate some kind of a plan for the patient, right? But that's not necessarily what the patient's expectations are in the beginning of the assessment, right? Uh, in perception to what physiotherapy is all about and uh, how they need their injury tr to be treated, injury or condition, right? So uh, there's a big um, distance between uh, the expectations of the patient and the expectations of the uh, physio that needs to be managed while you're going through this thing. And Sarush, in regards to your uh, leadership, the one thing is <laughs> you're not only uh, leading yourself operating as a business, but you're also leading the patient uh, and the rest of the team on a journey to provide that great uh, patient experience, right? To make sure that everybody's on the same page and um, the fact that um, the whole team is working well together. Mm -hmm. So, um, Daryl, I also wanted to ask you in regards to what I was saying, how uh, would it be possible to effectively teach, um, would it be possible to effectively manage the expectations of the patient in order for them to have a positive perception about physiotherapy and their uh, treatment coming out? Yeah. You know, and that's, I think it's really the most complex part of what we do, I believe. Um, and many, and many people will say that, you know, there's a, there's a technical part of what we do and then there's the art of what we do. Right. And, and oftentimes though the art is still associated with, you know, how good my hands are and, and, you know, what, what can I do with that? And, and I think that's fair. And I don't, I don't, and I don't discount that or I don't disregard that because again, you know, my training in my career has been very positive for me and I've been able to utilize it to build confidence and confidence all the way through. Um, however, I do think though, a lot of the art, you know, if you, if you, take into just a little bit of a different context is how do you actually connect appropriately with that patient so you can actually determine and have a good conversation about what are your expectations coming to see me? Um, you know, what is the emotional component about what is your why? And, and learning how to do that and teaching that is not actually, it's not inherent and it's not innate. And what I mean so maybe let me rephrase that coming out of school we say, Oh, we're really good at, as you know, I get the social skills. Right. And a, and a good friend of mine, Jim Millard and a mentor of mine would 
would also say, we can teach that, but we actually don't realize sometimes though that we have a need to be taught there or to, or to be coached. So you guys know, and you guys have known for me asking you to say, okay, show me your treatment plan. And it says, you know, decrease pain and I'm going to increase strength and I'm going to, you know, mobilize this, mobilize that. But if you were to think about that and I put you now in a room with, you know, to talk about physics or something, and I gave you something that was comparable, the three of us would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And because we have no meaning or no context to that. And I, what I truly believe that we need to do a better job at is, is pulling a, the emotional strings on a patient and identifying with them is, you know, tell me why you're here. And, you know, yes, I hurt my knee or I hurt my back, but I really want to just play with my grandkids or, you know what, I really just want to be able to bath my, my baby um, to help my wife out at home. And, you know, I want to go back and play hockey with my buddies. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think those are the challenges that we have. And in, we see it not just with a new grad. We don't just see it with, the, you know, with a student. You know, it's the same conversations I have with the clinic owners that we're, that we're mentoring and coaching too is they're not using, you know, a strategy to help capture that. And certainly if they're not, from a leadership perspective or a role modeling perspective, neither are their clinicians. And it's not because we don't want to, it's not because we don't, um, we're resistant, you know, to change. The reality is, it's just, we've never thought about it in that context because we've never really seen healthcare as consumerism. Mm -hmm. But what, what I would suggest is, you know, the first piece that everybody has to get comfortable with is developing a care plan from the initial assessment. You know, not just going through, oh, Bob, you're coming in with a rotator cuff tear and yeah, we're going to mobilize you and I'll see you, you know, once a week. It's going to be okay, Bob, you, you know, you're coming in, you have this expectation for me, you know, you're unable to do these personal things that are meaningful to you. Here's what I'm going to do to support that. And it's going to take us this long to get there. And that's sort of what I'm predicting, right? So there's our prognosis and our predicted outcome. And then, you know, establishing a patient's expectations is so important because you end that by determining their commitment to what you've just presented. Mm-hmm. And the part that, you know, I'm going to challenge, you know, at a couple conferences coming up is, is our thinking around, you know, as physios, you know, we're the first profession that listens to patients. You know, we spend the most time with patients, you know, we're, you know, we're the primary care provider that all these people with musculoskeletal neurological and cardiorespiratory problems should see in the private sector. You guys have heard that for years. I've preached that for years and I believe that, but at the same point in time, we shouldn't be just looking at the biomechanical piece. So, Oh, okay, Bob, come in, I'll decrease your pain and we'll get you stronger and then you should be good. But if we're really talking about being holistic professionals and providers, we actually have to look at a complete care plan. And, there's, and that starts by building a relationship with a patient and meeting their expectations. And if their expectations aren't realistic, that's our job is to bring it back into something that's realistic. And that's sort of where I think is the first place people need to start with is in order to capture expectations, that's the, you need to be able to build a complete care plan because at least you can reassess before you finish whether that patient's expectations are going to be met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And and the one thing I I I try to do every morning when I go to the clinic, um, you know, I don't think let's go do some treatments. I say, let's go build some relationships, right? Because every single person 
is going to be a little bit different and um and real joy of i guess like from my perspective is is building those relationships and learning from them as well i think that um there's a two-way street even with the clients and the clinicians right you can always learn from them right because they always have some sort of uh something to offer um in addition and 100% the the complete care plan is is the one thing that you know definitely I've been working on and I think that um you know ever since we talked about it in in the chat a few weeks ago um building those relationships with your clients but also building those relationships with um, other uh, practitioners to help actually build a complete care plan um, mm-hmm. the expectations are definitely important but now I'm looking a little bit more externally as well like for example occupational therapists etc and I think we had a little bit of a chat about this so maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about that and if somebody uh, similar to my situation where they may not have all the resources you know at their fingertips like OT uh, massage etc how do you build those relationships with other individuals and how do you try to actually provide a complete care plan? Yeah. You know, it, it's certainly tough depending on, you know, whether you're in an urban center or a rural center um, or a rural area, I should say. But I think the, the one piece though is, you know, when you're, when you're having those conversations with patients, right. In, in that assessment, right. You're, as you said, Sarush, it was actually brilliant. Like you learn so much from your patients, right. Yeah. You know, then you start to realize what, what people are interested in when you're asking them about, you know, what activity, you know, if this, if this, you know, injury that you have or this pain that you're experiencing right now, if it wasn't there, what would you be doing? Oh, I would be doing yoga. Okay. Where would you be doing yoga? Oh, right here. Are they any good? Yeah, they're awesome. And then, you know, next thing I do is I go and I go and have an introduction. I, I introduce myself to that yoga studio in town. We look at an opportunity to do like, you know, a community engagement talk there. So you, know, you put on an in-service for their, their patients and, or sorry, their clients. And you, you know, you just start having those conversations and, you know, those small discussions, you realize that you have, you know, you've got some similarities and you have, you know, very, um, you have those, those similar ideas around how, how you can improve someone's lifestyle and their quality of life. Right. So you start to see similarities that you build the, that relationship off. And then that relationship, when it's actually built on, you know, a true, you know, trustworthy, um, you know, clear vision, you've got the same mission, you've got the same vision, then you can actually start to have those business conversations, right? Because no longer is it about a business conversation. It's about, you know what, if we treat these individuals well, and we provide them with a great experience between two different businesses or two different providers, mm-hmm. all of a sudden now that is your true litmus test, if you will, or your true, you know, your identifier that you're actually providing excellent service because people wouldn't, you would have no money if you weren't providing good care. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we always, we, we worry so much about the business side of things. But if you, if you think about it, your impact on a patient's life is how you actually generate revenue. Yeah. So that's sort of how I would build those relationships. And you both guys touched on the that amazing topic of uh, building relationships. And uh, Surush and I recently read the book called The Culture Code. Um, and there, all the great companies built cultures by facilitating more interactions between their employees, having the open concept um, setting where everybody can interact and form those little relationships that really uh, could lead to amazing opportunities moving forward. And following up from that, there you touched on a point where if you provide amazing service, amazing care, amazing patient experience, you will make money in an ethical way as well. 
by providing a massive amount of value for what you charge the patients as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I wanted to ask, uh, because I've been um, battling with that kind of question myself, is in terms of like motivation, looking for physios who are on a salary versus the physios who are on a fee split. Because in a fee split, you're inherently interested in the creating amazing relationships and uh, providing as much value as possible because your income directly um, um, directly relies on that, right? When you are on a when you're on a salary, right? You're getting paid regardless. Uh, whether you see more patients, whether you provide amazing patient experience or not. So I just wanted you to comment on kind of that um, comparison between a fee split physio and a and a salary physio and how mentorship bootcamp could help with those two aspects. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Slav. And it, it, it's interesting, right? Cause I've, I had a, a few good colleagues and friends of mine that are, have been through scenarios where they've been, you know, they've been managing clinicians who were on salary or hourly rate and, you know, the, the business could only get so far and, they then did it. They went and they did a switch to a fee split, and all of a sudden, the the clinic starts growing. You know, they're accepting patients. You know, that would maybe be on their lunch hour because they wanted to get that patient in, and then you know they would stay that extra hour late. Those sorts of things, and you know, for me, I struggle with that because as as a physio, um, I I would always have looked for an opportunity that I you know to bring a patient in that was in in need of of service. Right? I would never, I would never you know, make a patient wait two weeks for an assessment, although I, that changes, I guess now, but it's just because I, my consulting practice is, is quite limited. However, when I was a full-time clinician, you know, it was three days maximum before I, and then I would get you in as a new consult. But I think to go back to your question is it's really about just bringing back to reality of why did you become a clinician? Like, why did you become a physio and, and what is your true, you know, mission? And I think we forget sometimes of, um, you know, what, what is a goal for us, for example, and whether I'm paid on a fee split or whether I'm paid hourly or salary shouldn't actually matter. And, and I'll give you two pieces of how, how we can look at that. So my first piece would be is, you know, if I was to ask you guys as a clinician, you know, if you were to look at it, you know, right now, you guys both became physios for a reason. So what would, what would you, what would be your kind of your, your goal this year, Slava, as, you know, if you were to say how many from a patient perspective and how many people you want to impact, what, what, what would your goal be on that? Like, what would you say, you know, girl, I want to service a thousand new patients this year. Like, is that something that would motivate you? Uh, well, for me, uh, and I've been like thinking about this stuff a lot in terms of the motivation and things like that. Um, for me is generating the lifetime clients is the biggest motivation. So, uh, the number obviously as much as possible because like, I honestly go into work and I love the patient interactions because, uh, Saroosh hit it on the head with those building relationships. Let's mm -hmm. go build some relationships today. I like <laughs> me and Saroosh like have heard each other interact with the patients. It's always like constant laughter, like super loud and like can't treat next to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but, right. that is true <laughs> yeah but in those interactions you try to create a lifetime uh, a lifetime person right because you want to provide as much value as possible and you want these people to get the best experience right so mm -hmm. i would look at it more in 
um, in terms of that rather than like how many people I want to impact because the answer is always going to be as much as possible, but like your hours are also limited, right? Sure, <laughs> so sure. whatever the hours are, <laughs> fill yeah. those and then as many as possible. That's right. So what I would do is I would, and then we'll go to you in just a structure. But what I'm thinking though, is what I would say for you, whether it's no matter where you're working right now, Slav, I'd say, okay, let's look at that because a lifetime client, so you're raving fans are going to for sure send you family members and friends for all those. So what I would do is I would look at it to say, okay, for your caseload this year, let's have 20% of your caseload, for example, and just picking a number that they would be all family and friend referrals. They're not, you know, what your owner is, is sending through. They're not your GP referrals. They're not your surgeon referrals. And you would look at that in a year's time. And that would really be able to be, it would be that goal for you to say, holy, you know, this year I just accomplished that next year. It's going to be 30%. And, and that's a huge opportunity and, and it allows you to maintain that, that motivation, right? Because you're motivated to build a, life, a lifelong clientele, which basically will allow you to become their family physio, which is something else that I preach for many, many years about, I would love for my patients if they have musculoskeletal problems just to come back and talk to me. And if it's something I think is outside of my scope, I'll send you back to your doc, but you shouldn't have to wait six weeks because your back hurts. So, so I really, really like that. Um, and then give me, uh, we'll go to Sarush first. And Sarush, what's, what's that one year kind of motivation goal for you? And then I'll wrap it up. Uh, for me, I think that the biggest thing is, you know, also it's not directly a number. It would be nice, obviously, to see like help 50 people walk better with, uh, you know, if they had neosarthritis, for example, those, those are the goals there. But I think the real goal that I'm, I'm striving towards is to be able to hit three different generations within that same family. So if I see a 65 year old in my, in my clinic, I want their experience to be so good that they'll refer their son or their daughter or their, whoever it is. And then they come in and then that's the parent of a 20 year old, a 20 something year old. And then they also get referred to me because just the whole family now all generations have trusted in me to be able to provide care for their family I think that becomes a super powerful thing and the mm -hmm. one profession that I see this happening most often is uh physicians right you see you know your parents go to somewhere and then you go somewhere and then your kid might go uh, the same place like it just keeps trickling down and I think that's like you said the family physio concept I think that's a really cool concept to think about and I that's the one thing I always try to tell my clients at the end of discharge I say hey you know let's this is the end of our like six weeks or eight weeks but it doesn't mean that we have to end our relationship here you're more than welcome to call if you want to have a small concept if you have something going on um, you don't have to come in for an assessment if you you're not sure about it just call me we'll discuss over the phone if it's yeah. a new assessment i'll tell you to come in etc and that just trickles down hopefully to the next generation and then the next generation so that's yeah. kind of my one-year goal there yeah that's that's then that's awesome and i think you know that happens in 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 many clinics across across the country for sure from what i've seen yeah. and a lot of physios will pride themselves on it we don't celebrate it enough but we often hear that from a lot of the clinic owners oh i've been there and i've treated all the generations i'm like oh mm -hmm. okay have your physios done that oh no they only the patients will see me okay mm -hmm. so clearly your patient experience metrics aren't working correctly then mm -hmm. and, they, and you got to work on that but i think what i like about what both of you have identified though is is your true driver for going to work every day 
right? So we always talk about as, as PTs, oh, it's not about the money. However, if I change you from hourly to fee split, all of a sudden you make more money and you're seeing more patients. So then I call kind of bullshit on that. Mm-hmm. However, what I think though is we've got a little bit of a challenge because is I don't think we actually consider people's goals and their motivations in and follow with an incentive program that doesn't really matter than if you're on fee split or or hourly, for example. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I would suggest that I'm going to, you know, that I want to look at too is, you know, as I'm, you know, spend more time with some of my, my patients and stuff, you know, and I, and I charge quite a bit when, when I have a, a referral come to me. And one of the things that I want to do, I wanted to do in 2019, I haven't got to yet is um, I want to say, you know, for every assessment that I now do, I want to donate a certain amount of money to a charity. So whether it's 10 bucks of every consult that I do, or even if it's a dollar, I'm not, I haven't figured that out yet. And, and it's for me is the more assessments I do, the more money I will give back to a charity. So again, I'm, I'm sort of taking away from that, you know, this is only my money. There's a reason, there's an opportunity for me to give back. Mm-hmm. But I think to answer your, your question, Slava, is a, a fee split is, is quite simple. And we'll take away all the scenarios that are bad where there's no patients coming through the door and all that. So let's pretend they're equal comparisons where, you know, they have the same number of new assessments for those clinicians. And, you know, it does seem to make sense that you can probably make a bit more money if you're on a fee split, given that the current fee split sits between, you know, 38% if you're out east, all the way up to almost 60, 65% out west. And that also depends if you're working for a physio or a chiro or a massage therapist. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem with the hourly, though, is that you sort of get stuck, right? So you're sitting around, let's just for numbers sake, you make 40 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. But then, you, you know, you have all these goals. And you're not really seeing and you have no motivation to do more. So what I've been challenging clinicians to think about and the owners is why don't we consider creating an incentive? Because if you two have those, the two motivations that you guys just shared with me is only going to make my business more successful and it's only going to make your practices more successful. So that's a conversation piece to have with your clinic owner right? Or with me as let's say an owner and you're both my employees is I want to put you on a, on a, on a sort of an incentive plan that if I do pay you hourly, I can keep you in the clinic without having to go look for a percentage mm-hmm. and say to you guys that when you hit these milestones, you, I'm going to actually provide you a bonus. And this mm-hmm. bonus isn't considered a, these kickbacks and all this stuff is that you and I realizing that you're doing a great job and I want to recognize you for that. Because again, we said it much earlier is that the business, the dollars or your revenue is not a reflection of business practice. It's a reflection of your patient experience. And it's a reflection on your care that you provide to your community. So I should be recognizing and sharing that with you guys. Mm-hmm. On a fee split perspective, if that's if that turns out where you're hourly, I would I could always convert you to percentage and vice versa. From a new grad perspective, sometimes it's nicer to allow you guys to be in an hourly rate because it creates a little bit more stability. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, what you said was also spot on with the, when you have an increase in revenue, it's not always just looking at just the business related principles of the clinic. I think it's more, it's more so using those business related metrics or metrics that are related to your patient care and making um, and, and using those to bring meaning to it right so just because you have the numbers and you track everything doesn't mean that's going to result in you doing better the measurement is one part but actually the management is the next right is i think that's um it's definitely an important part and and i do want to ask um uh, uh, another question you know as we're going towards 
the end of the podcast because one of your most recent Instagram posts was about, uh, well, two, I would say. It was about vulnerability. <laughs> that, right, right. Um, a little bit of a typo in that first one. <laughs> that yep, yep. Um, and it's, it's it, like the book that Slava also mentioned that we read, The Culture Code. That was one of the main things that they talked about um, creating a, a good culture is showing your vulnerability as a, as a leader. And I think that this vulnerability component is, is very important. So I was wondering if you could expand on that and how that's impacted your patient care and how you've seen that really drive the business uh, compared to some of the more hard metrics uh, that you've used before. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's vulnerability is a tough thing. And I, I would love to tell you guys that I actually did that intentionally, but I clearly didn't. <laughs> when I posted that, I was like super excited about my, and my wife texted me and she's like, uh, please allow me to read your post before you post them because you can't spell. <laughs> I was like, damn it. And I was like, well, at least I can use this and recycle this post. But um, the, the, the piece around vulnerability, though, is important. And I, and I believe and I see it actually in, in any sort of business that I currently work in. And, and it was hard for me as a new grad to admit to people that I didn't know something, right? And there seemed to be like this, you know, this, this sense of failure if I didn't know. And, and for me right now is, um, you know, showing vulnerability and being humble with patients. It, it allows you to build your relationship much better. You know, there's, there's times now when I'm one-on-one with the patient, they're expecting you to be that expert. And, and you clearly can, you know, flag and say, look, like, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you right now. Like, this is complex. Like, I'm, you know, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm seeing. We're going to do this. And we're going to work through this together. And you're going to help me along the way. Um, so that's sort of, you know, how I approach it from a clinical perspective. But I think you know, when I, when I look at my, my world from, a you know, a vulnerability piece too, is I think this is what's so kind of cool about, um, you know, being mentored and having your own coaches and stuff is that, you know, being vulnerable at time is admitting that you don't know, mm-hmm. you know, in that side. And, and, you know, I was working with one of my mentors this past week and, and, and it's so hard for me to like, do you understand what I said? And I was like, no, I don't. Right. Normally I would just be like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then you don't deliver. And then it's like, but why, why do you have this coach? Right. If you're not being coachable. And I think that's a key piece too. like, you know, so, you know, it's probably not the direct, you know, definition of vulnerability and stuff. But what I look at is that with me and what I've always considered myself to say, well, you know, I can do this quite well, you know, it means that I'm not actually coachable. Mm -hmm. And I had, um, and I had someone mentioned to me, uh, a couple of days ago, and he said, you know what I think the problem is, is that you present yourself all the time that you know. And he goes, I know you know now, but you need to let people know that you didn't know before. And, you know, it's it's been 10 years of you screwing up at times, to be honest, and but being successful at the same time, that you need to let people realize that you're not in this perfect, you're not the perfect PT. You're not the only guy that's ever been able to mentor a physio. You're not the only guy that's ever been able to manage a caseload of X number of patients. You're not the only guy that's ever been able to work with a surgeon. And, and it, sort of it really resonated with me because you're like yeah that's right like I forgot to tell people you know along the journey you know I failed here I made this mistake and and I think the the aha moment for me though is after you know I was you know again having that tough conversation with with a mentor of mine it was realizing that those are all opportunities that I learned right and and 
and you don't like to admit those mistakes, right? You don't like to admit those failures. But I really do believe as, as us as clinicians, if we're really going to suggest that we're lifelong learners in, in the business world as well, we have to remember that. And that's sort of where I always come across from sort of that vulnerability standpoint is that letting people know that, you know, we're kind of in this together. And, and, you know, if I take that to one step further to what I like about boot, you know, mentorship boot camp and working with, you know, the group that we have right now is it's so fun to actually work together and say, Hey, you know, we know we have to develop this or we need to perfect this tool or this strategy or this tactic. So it's actually applicable for everybody, but having, you know, 10 people's opinion on it to say, this may work or what about this or you know what, I don't, I think we should tweak that. It just creates a much more powerful tool and, and it'll have a way better impact on, you know, those next patients that we can apply that strategy to. Right. Um, so that's sort of where I come from, from that. Um, so I, I hope that answers your question though. Okay. There, Sarush. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Daryl, uh, Sarush and Daryl, you guys mentioned that concept of vulnerability and, uh, you're 100% right, that vulnerability and the, the lifelong learner concept, they go hand in hand, right? Because if you're not willing to uh, learn and kind of grow beyond your current zone, beyond your current level, then you'll never really be vulnerable because it's very easy and safe to stay in your own shell and say, oh, I know all this, right? And I'm the king here, but uh, going beyond that shell, I'm not willing to be vulnerable. I'm not going to make mistakes. And there's no growth that happens in that sense mm-hmm. right so that lifelong opportunity uh for learning re- relates really well to the mentorship boot camp relates well to that concept of vulnerability right we're all human we all make mistakes as we learn but in that learning in that process of learning that's where the real growth happens um, yeah and- for sure Exactly. And as we move towards, uh, again, the end of the podcast, Daryl, I know in the current, um, in the current uh, cohort of uh, PT, uh, mentorship bootcamp participants, it's mostly new grads, but I was wondering, uh, what are the types of physios uh, you're looking to attract in order to mentor within the mentorship bootcamp? Um, is it just the new grads or are you looking for um, other kind of uh, other physios along different parts of their journey. And um, if you could elaborate on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So, you know, for me, new grad student um, or seasoned PT, there's, there's always that opportunity to, to, to mentor as long as someone wants to be coachable. Right. Um, I think oftentimes when you look at the millennial generation, it's probably geared a bit more for that, that individual that's, thinking, okay, you know what, I, I need to get to a certain point um, and then I'm going to grow into my next opportunity. And, and what Mentorship Bootcamp offers is, is you know, growth, per, you know, in a in sort of a, a, an accelerated approach, right? So, you know, when you look at it from a business acumen and a performance metric perspective, um, you know, it gives, it gives a younger therapist a lot of good confidence and, and credibility to move quickly within it, within a clinic environment where, you know, they, they may, you know, be uncomfortable talking to their clinic owner or to the senior therapist who may be their mentor. Right. Um, and it's building that, that, that confidence and, and giving them the tools and strategies to, you know, to go in and, and actually have those conversations to say, you know what, I'm worth more 
I, you know, your, our patients value us. So, so there is certainly a piece where that um, is a big focus of what boot camp will will cater to but at the same point though is that what you know there's there's sort of what i would consider a value ladder within mentorship boot camp so you know the enter the entry point if you will is is sitting at um you know mentorship boot camp which is what you guys are currently within and and working towards you know we've got um, a, a cohort of of like-minded motivated and and driven clinicians that are trying to come up with um you know, new systems and processes in order to impact more and more patients. And the reason I say that though, is just because you guys clearly outlined what your motivation was to become a clinician. So that's an easy point to see mm-hmm. where we're sort of a next piece would be though, is that it kind of bumps up to what, what I kind of have coined like kind of clinician boss or clinician superhero, if you will. And what that is more intended to be is that that's taken, taking either a younger clinician or a more seasoned therapist. And, you know, those are the ones that are, they're kind of, you know, maybe sort of lost a little bit of saying, you know, what's my next step. So, you know, I maybe want to dabble in the clinic owner space or, you know what, you know, I, I really just want to build a program or, or I've got this passion where I want to work with this target population. I just don't know how to quite get there. So it's, it's taking that, you know, that senior therapist as well and driving them through and working and coaching them so they can build the confidence. We can work on the patient experience metrics. We can work on the community engagement and really instilling all the time, just the, the acumen that makes you kind of persevere through the business side, why we why we really drive what it is that was or really what we're passionate about. Right. So again, you, you always put your clinicians, you know, thinking first, but at the same point in time though, you have to realize that no matter what your next steps are, it's you're, you're within a healthcare business. So, you know, boot camps developed in many ways to target many, many clinicians and not just physios. It's built for chiros and massage therapists. And I have quite a few calls from, from our other disciplines, but I, but I really think it's, it's such a cool opportunity though, is, you know, having, having all clinicians and, and spanning right through, you know, different um, decades of practice even because there's so much to learn from each other that this allows, uh, you know, a community to come together and support each other, which is really a, a huge vision of mine. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I am really looking forward to uh, the, how the next few cohorts are going to, are going to pan out. And um, so I know there's a few options available for someone who wants to join mentorship bootcamp. Can you elaborate on the different ways they can and what, maybe when the next couple cohorts will be? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, the, depending on, on, you know, where the next numbers will come from, right. Or when they kind of tally up, one of the things that I would suggest is best way to, to figure out what the options and the strategies are, depending on where you are in your career and, and what, what is, you know, your next, your next step, if you will, or what's your growth opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would suggest is, um, you know, what's, what's arranged a, an opportunity to have a strategy call, no different than how the, the three of us actually had that call and really just trying to identify, you know, what are your goals? What do you think that you need some help with? You know, do I have the ability to actually help you achieve those goals and really making sure that one of the options, whether it's a cohort class or it's just, you know, coming in and accessing resources through the learning management system um, or if it's more of a one-on-one coaching that you're the most interested in, we can have those. We can have that conversation because you know, for me, um, I selfishly learn tons from it. Right? I, I learn something every time we have a conversation and every time we actually have one of our sessions. Um, but I want to make sure that you know we have to have that that 
you know, that like-minded thinking about, you know, can we together get you to your next step? And that's really why the strategy call has been put into place um, because it, it has to be an opportunity where you see true, true value at the end. I have an offering, but I have to make sure that that offering will, will provide the value that you need. And then we have a, then we have sort of a home run at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and when's the next uh, cohort starting after ours? Yeah. The next cohort will start in April. April. Okay. Nice. Yeah, well, it's been uh, it's been awesome chatting with you, uh, but we can't let you leave without recommending a book or a resource that has been uh, instrumental in uh, in your journey and uh, accomplishing so much at the same time. Yeah, I so, knew you guys were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I think you know I was I was just you guys would have seen that I was at that conference a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, I was at ClickFunnels and I actually did read uh, Russell Brunson's Expert Secrets book prior to going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have to say, you know, because you guys, I, I've listened to the podcast, right? And so many people have had all the, those like, you know, cool inspirational books and stuff, which are, are truly valuable. Um, but the one thing that I found with this book is it really put into perspective, you know, what I can do better um, from, a, from an experience perspective. Um, and really starting to understand the difference between, you know, what, what he coins as his, his hook, his story and his offer is, is such a cool thing to do. And, and when we think about it, they don't really, you know, necessarily do that as a huge sales pitch, right? It's all about learning how to, you know, to drive a relationship and have an impact based on emotion and things like that. And, and I, it really sort of hones in on me to realize that, you know what, that's actually what we do with patients all the time. Like, you know, we need to relate to them. We need to, you know, we need to actually be able to, you know, connect with them on a level that we probably didn't learn in school well enough. And, and, and not in a negative way. It's just that this is part of our growth. So I, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a book that I would recommend. And, and when I was at that conference, I was probably, you know, in the bottom 10th percentile of understanding what the hell is going on. However, you know, if you really want to talk about stepping outside your comfort zone, but it was such a cool opportunity to pull, bring everything back in and have this resource from, you know, from this book perspective to start to realize where are all those synergies in my practice as both a clinician, you know, as a, you know, as a director um, and as a mentor and a coach. Right. So um, certainly some that you guys will want to get your hands on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check out that book. Thanks for the recommendation. I know uh, we wish we could have also made it out to that conference. It looked pretty amazing. Yeah, it was it was fun. So if you come out to Accelerate Live 2019, uh, when Rick and I were down there, we certainly uh, we took lots of notes. I think we took more notes about how to make Accelerate a cooler conference <laughs> than in some of probably the the marketing I was supposed to learn. Um, but then Rick's knows way more about marketing. So I'll just call and pick up a phone and ask him what that, what that lecture was about or that presentation. But, uh, I know you guys will be at accelerator live, so, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I highly recommend that conference as well. If, if, uh, it's going to be happening in June, we'll definitely have some links. Um, we have the link in our page as well. So if you uh, mm-hmm. want to know, um, just that's in our link in our Instagram. Now, speaking of Instagram, we want to help you build yours up a little bit. Why don't you give us some of the social media and ways to contact you, um, in case, uh, <laughs> we missed it in the last one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably didn't do it so well in the last one. Yeah, so as far as, you know, if you want to catch me on Instagram, it's, you know, just at Daryl Yardley. Um, and, you know, that's the one piece. And then if you want to just connect with me through email, for sure, it's just Daryl at mentorshipbootcamp.ca. 
Um, but the other thing too is I know we, we didn't talk too, too much about, you know, contract negotiation outside of um, the, you know, just the fee split versus the hourly, but I, I certainly talk about that quite a bit. And if you go onto the website at mentorshipbootcamp.ca, um, there's a, there's an actual downloadable ebook there mm-hmm. and it's just on, on contract negotiation and, you know, how to earn more um, without feeling guilty and, and get the mentorship that you deserve is sort of, you know, the, the thinking behind that tool. Um, and it's, it's there for you to download for free. Um, and really it's one of those, some of the thinking that I had was working with a lot of my students at Western, you know, after the fact is, um, you know, I'd offer to help them review their contracts, give them some advice on them, but I just, I couldn't get to everybody, you know, having that many students, um, and I couldn't impact every school across the country. So they had given me some thoughts around, you know, Joe, can you just, can you send me an email or can you just put the, put this in writing somehow? So what I, what I did is I sort of took what their requests were and, and what they encouraged me to do. And, and I, and I kind of took, um, took as much as I could know and I chatting with lots of good colleagues and friends and with all the contracts I reviewed over the years and we just put a little resource together. So it's certainly there for, for your information and, and please feel free to download that. Mm-hmm. Definitely recommend that one. I, uh, Slava and I both went through that with a fine tooth comb, <laughs> reading through every little bit of that before we went into some of our negotiations and, and, um, and, you know, at this, by this time, this, this will come out, our negotiations episode will also be out. So maybe we'll also make a, make a quick link to that, um, for those individuals, but definitely visit Daryl's site. Daryl, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on for round two, um, and hope to speak to you soon again for round three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Guys. Thanks for having me back again. And, and what's, uh, We'll do round three when we show you your significant uh, huge progress after uh, completing boot camp because you guys are already kicking some ass. So a that's quick awesome. case study on the on the progress. <laughs> yeah. that's right. So at least we know if it's just one of us, and we know one didn't work out so well. But hopefully, it's both of you, so we know that we had two successes. <laughs> I hope so. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you guys having me back on. No worries. Thank you so much. We appreciate your Thank time. You, Take care. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.